Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Warren. So this week on the podcast, we have Avine McCann. Avine is an actor, a voiceover artist, and also the founder of uh, the co-founder of Red Bear Productions alongside Tracy Martin. Uh, Avine's currently starring in Assassins at the Gate Theatre. I was lucky enough to see it, and I have to say, Avine is phenomenal in it. The show is great, uh, but Avine and a uh, former guest of the show, Kate Gilmore, have a few scenes that really stood out to me. Uh, and just seeing as she's the guest on the show, I wanted to tell you, if you're him and Han about getting in to see it, Avine in and of herself is a great reason to go and see it. There's also some deadly deals. Go in and check out Assassins at the Gate. I think it runs till June 8th or something along those lines. So you've got another time, um, a bit of time to go and see it. And I really recommend uh, you do. As I said, Avian co-founded Red Bear Productions with Tracy Martin, who's uh, an exceptional writer. I was lucky enough to see a piece that Avian acted in and Tracy would have written called Harder, Faster, More. Uh, also starred former guest of the show, Claire Monley. And it was just a deadly, deadly show. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I think you guys would have loved it too. Um, but keep an eye on what Red Bear are doing. Go find them on all their social media and make sure you like and subscribe and all that stuff so you can see what they're doing because um, they're really worth um, keeping in touch with because their work has been deadly in my experience um other than that, uh, we have a Deadly episode coming out next week. Uh, deadly is the word of the day, apparently, but uh, it really is. Uh, Paddy Murphy um, sat down with me just before Avian, actually, and um, we did a, a Deadly episode, uh, kind of very different to this, which is always so nice when you can get a bit of variation, uh, and I think you'll really enjoy that too. So, guys, look, enough waffling. I have no major news to keep you in the loop about. Uh, as always, if you can uh, let us know you're listening at TMOR93 on Twitter, uh, Avian's on Twitter too, and at Personal Bingo as well. Go and let us know. Uh, we are also on Facebook at Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. As always, if you're not already subscribed and Adrian brought you here, that's absolutely deadly. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more of the episodes, we have some brilliant ones, whether it be from like film and TV makers, uh, theatre makers, whatever it might be. We've, we've got loads of stuff, loads of comedians, all that good stuff. Uh, hit subscribe because that makes a big difference to us in the charts. And um, we don't have the funding to push this podcast like other ones do. Uh, yeah, I think our content is really worth uh, paying attention to. So if you want to pass it on to someone, um, that would mean the world because, uh, you know, it's uh, we I love doing this, but uh, I also love when people get to hear it because that's the whole point and uh, you are a great uh, facility in making that happen so thanks a million as always for listening it's always uh, appreciated so guys enough of me please enjoy the wonderful Avian McCann playing personality bingo with Tom Moran Avian McCann, ready to play personality bingo? Woohoo! All right, love it. So a uh, quick explainer of how it all works. I've got 60 balls in here, going to put 60 minutes on the clock. Cool. Uh, I've also given five numbers in front of you. Would you do me a favour and read out the five numbers you have there? Okay, the five numbers I have are 2, yeah. 49, right. 51, okay. 37, yeah. and 24. Amazing. Would you do me a favour and pick a sixth one that's uh, between 1 and 60 that's not already there? Uh, uh, 7. Oh, very decisive. Any reason? I don't know, it just keeps popping up. Yeah, okay, I sweet. I saw the, pa- the page and I saw the empty box and I thought seven fits in there. Yeah, nice, I love it. Okay, and I should say that if all six of them numbers do come out, that means that the tables are turned and you get to ask me any single question in the whole wide world and I will nice. give you a completely honest answer. So, uh, will we give it a spin? Please. Let's do it. Okay, first one out the gate. We have number 13, unlucky in bingo, allegedly. Do you have it? Okay, no worries. Number 13. The question is, um, oh, interesting way to start. What are your thoughts on the Me Too movement? Oh, God. Um, I say, oh, God, as if I have negative feelings. And Mm. of course I have negative feelings because it's unfortunate we even have to have a movement like that. But how do I feel about it? Um, I had a conversation recently with a male actor who would be, if he's not quite well known, he will be. His name is uh, Babu Sisei. And he was nominated for a BAFTA last year. So he's like doing well, you know. So he's he's got friends who are in different uh, rungs of the ladder, if you, if you know what I mean, in, in the acting world, both in theatre, but predominantly in film, where it was, where it pretty much, this movement was born. And we chatted for a while and he was saying like just how difficult it was for families of people who have been accused of things, people we don't even hear about in the press, you know, it's kind of creeping in. And my argument back to him was, I understand that the difficulty is for family members who maybe didn't even know that side of their loved one. It's just so devastating and it's difficult for those people's careers and their homes and everything are at stake. But unfortunately, a really, really difficult period of time must pass before any change is needed. And, and it sounds sort of a bit macabre to say, 
people have to be hurt but unfortunately they really do because there's a lot of shit that happened for a long long time and even as a, an actor now a female actor I do feel a change ever so slightly for me because I've never been directly affected by anything in that realm really but then if I think about it just being a woman in this industry you do you are un- subconsciously aware of that fact and how you're treated and you know I worked on Vikings there um, at the end of last year and it sounds like I'm about to tell you something really gritty I'm not they just treat there's a real there's an acute awareness of how to treat people on that set because there's a lot at stake and if someone even slightly crosses the line fortunately and rightly so I feel like there are a lot of people around that are just sort of they rise up a little bit to say that's not appropriate let's have a second let's move on because it's built in to so many people's vocabulary to talk to women and men in a really inappropriate way in the workplace and because of what we do it's because of what we do we tend to have to share a lot Mm. to get to a place whether that's discovering a character or talking about a script and then making references to your own life so you are sharing a little more than perhaps you would do if you were in um, a classroom and that means I think people feel like they have a little bit more leeway to get even closer to you or a little bit inappropriate or a lot inappropriate. So it's great that we have started to recognize it's it's actually a huge relief for me um, personally and for everyone around me, I feel, to recognize that we need to just check ourselves before we we do something stupid mm. and and hurtful and 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 scar people you know I don't think we always realize what we do to people on a daily basis you know sometimes we carry around a bit of anger and I dare I say it have met men god I've met men yeah I've met men in in jobs outside of acting in acting who have this unawareness or is that even a word unawareness Mm -hmm. of their misogyny yeah and it is unbelievable <laughs> you're just like are you for real like i recently dealt with a man he's not directly in the in the uh industry you could say he's not a director or a producer or anything like that but he does work with actors um i have to be careful hmm. but he said something about god it's hard to tell you about this story without being really clear about who it is mm. it's a person who deals with guns basically so that could be any of the array of jobs i've done recently whether it's assassins at the moment or vikings or you know somebody in armory and they basically went well a woman will have to this is not great for women because this particular gun because you have to use both hands to women will have to use both hands to squeeze this gun to make it work and all the men, fortunately, all the men in the room looked around and were like, I know the women in this room are going to be more than capable. And that sounds really petty. Mm. But the fact is, he said it so flippantly and so easily. And he didn't even notice that there were different kinds of women in the room, different kinds of men in the room. And some of the men will have to use both their hands. And I just had a moment to go, absolutely no clue that he is. And that happened a few times in different ways. And it made me realize that he's just not on that wavelength. And it was a real... It was a real triumph to see how the men in the room that I had to work with, actually work with, had a, a greater awareness of how misogynistic all of his all those little statements were. Mm-hmm. That was good. And I don't know if that would have been as acknowledged if we weren't talking about things that Me Too have pointed up, you know? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's been I'm one of the things... To, sorry, Tom. <laughs> no, that, hey, that, this, is, this is for you. I mean, that's one of the things for me as like, um, you know, and, and it's interesting... It's inter- I think it's interesting being like uh, a young man in mm. it because a, a lot and not all absolutely not all but like a lot of the 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 things that this movement is reacting to is like um cr- frankly like a different generation but absolutely that's going to inform how my generation yeah. of men grow up in the world and it's really interesting because sometimes uh, and even like socially I'll be interacting with women and I'll just catch myself being like hold on li- like little things like yeah. really small things and you're like and then there's there's two parts of your brain. There's one part that goes, oh, isn't it a shame that you have to think about this stuff now? And then the other part goes, well, no, because as you said, like if if it's just a little like catch yourself moment, if that's all you have to sacrifice mm. to then prevent like really bad stuff like sex 
sexual assault or rape yeah. or something worse down mm. the line. I mean, hey, that's a, a tiny slippery price. Slope, you know, it's a really slippery slope. And I have unfortunately have a number of friends who have genuinely been terrorized by men, you know, on the street. And dare I say it, I don't notice it as much here in Ireland. When I lived in London, uh, you know, quite regularly you'd get comments thrown at you and then when I was in New York a few times you know it's just a different another different culture shock when you you have to sort of not get used to it you don't have to get used to anything if you don't want to but there's definitely a feeling where there's a little more of you feel a little more objectified in certain environments and then there's the next the next argument I can hear it already is that but how do men and women straight men and women communicate with each other in that in that realm and how do they communicate that they they are interested in the other person and stuff there are other ways and I actually think it makes for a much more much healthier relationship Mm. if you're not you know leering at someone and I also kind of feel sorry for a lot of a lot of guys god I'm going to be shot for saying that the only reason I say that is because I'm reading a book at the moment, I nearly finished listening to a book actually called uh, Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. Um, if I'm completely honest with you, the voiceover is doing my head in on it. But <laughs> but it's a brilliant book and it's a little bit repetitive in places just to warn people, but it's so worth reading or listening to, especially the chapters on men and the chapter on parenting. They're the ones that have really hit me the most because I think I had an awareness of what she was trying to talk about before I read the book anyway. So these are the more sort of insightful chapters for me. The men one actually had me quite tearful mm. because I have five brothers, mm. a dad, all living, all have relationships. We all have relationships with each other. So they're not a stranger or anything. I'm, I'm, I have weekly contact with these people and I, I've been in love with men and I love men and I have male friends. And it was talking about the fact that these one of the most memorable paragraphs is that Brenny Brown talks about how she was doing a book signing and this man approached her and he looked kind of unsettled or something. She was aware of him on the periphery and this woman and her daughter came up and she signed the book. So it turns out he was with them. And his this man's wife, who had just had a book signed, said, you know, let's go, let's go, we have to leave. And he said, no, no, I want to wait. And of course, Brenny Brown was sitting at the table. Like I'm, This is ad-libbing. Mm. I'm ad-libbing the shit out of this. Mm. So she goes... Um, um, she kind of he came up closer to the table and she realized I have to acknowledge this person and he said hi and he said do you ever do you ever study women or sorry excuse me men's uh, vulnerability because it's all about vulnerability and uh, the power of vulnerability and being basically living a realer life and and um, she said funnily enough I don't really study men as much as I, I study women because it's qualitative study so it's interviews and a lot of that kind of work but it's very precise and she's mad about numbers so it's it's a very trustworthy piece of work mm. but she's talking mostly women because they're more likely to talk about it and he just went you know what those two women my daughter and my wife they had those books signed and they have all your work and they're big fans of vulnerability but they're the first people they were the first people to kick me when I fall off my white horse they did not want me to see me fall off my white horse meaning that they don't want to see me vulnerable. They don't want to see me weak. I, despite how much they want to celebrate vulnerability and the power of vulnerability, they don't want to see me broken because in their eyes, I'm the man and I have to be strong. And it made me really like, I'm sound like such a, <laughs> I mean, even talking about it now, I realized, Jesus, yeah, I know I treat my dad in a certain way. And what I guess coming around to the argument of me too is that it's um important for us to, help people learn about themselves and what they do and not in a way obviously if someone does something really really ridiculously out of line you got to treat that as a criminal offense mm-hmm. uh, or at least you know treat it in that manner but there are subtleties that we can deal with without berating someone and make them see how and i'm guilty of being the most defensive feminist where if someone says something that is really un- inappropriate, I will, I can feel my blood boil. I'm trying to recently see that I need to work with people on on that language. Because I'm learning all the time too about my own bias as a white feminist. You know, I have my own bias that isn't as fair as I thought it was, you know. Mm. Because I have privilege 
that more than another fem another feminist who might happen to be mixed race or biracial or you know uh not necessarily an irish citizen yet mm -hmm. and all those kind of things yeah um we're guilty of our own bias constantly yeah it's interesting the thing about like the vulnerability within men because i mean like i think you know long after and and i mean this is because on, on the list of like priorities this should be down it absolutely should be like because women have been the victims of this behavior perpetrated by men but like and and once we keep learning and getting a handle and keep improving mm. but like there's obviously just like a society of fucking broken 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 men yeah. that are doing this because men aren't inherently bad obviously no. and no one really thinks that no. but like they're behaving really badly and like yeah. to look at why like it's really interesting i didn't know where that story was going to go about that that man who was sitting there and it's really interesting that his wife and his, 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 his daughter, I mean, that's, that's really sad that he feels yeah. like he can't. Yeah. But it is so funny, like, if you think about, like, anyone who's listening now in your headphones, like, think about, like, your dad and think about him crying. Like, can you think of an occasion? Can you think of two? Can you think of, like, it was when someone died? I, I'd be really surprised if anyone can think of, like, more than ten. I'd be really, like, interested if you can. I yeah. think that would be beautiful. But, like, yeah. m like, men don't do that you know yeah, and, and and we have this real habit of 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 going to science you know that 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 thing well you know scientifically uh women are they stay in the cave the men go out and hunt i don't know why so all of a sudden that person is from slightly from <laughs> dublin slightly from dundalk um they that really makes me uncomfortable when people make references to science because science i'm afraid to say has been written by men for a long 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 time okay so within science it, there are by there is bias mm. and that is a something that like i say that with such authority but you know there's enough work being done on that as in alone the bias of science to say that women are not the hunters um and you know as a woman who wants to be proactive consistently proactive and I wouldn't want to be at home all the time and yeah I imagine if I was ever lucky enough to have a child and give birth to someone I would probably the hormones would kick in and I would find nesting my priority for a while but I'm certainly an adventure an adventurer so I don't think it would be it, there's this thing of ah oh, look you know like I'm sure my dad's guilty of it too women you know they breastfeed and they do that and I'm like well it's sort of disenfranchising men as well from that role and that that family life because men who have um studies have shown that men and women who are in long-term relationships despite the work that has to go into them they're actually happier than people who are not mm. so family life is good for people relationships are good for people so the idea that a man must jump from one woman to the other it's, we're talking about straight men here obviously but you know because i um i can't speak on behalf of the queer community but like you know the argument that's made to me as a straight woman is that um men jump from one woman to the other and oh sure look at that's just how it is and then you realize i think those guys some of those guys are not happy that they they keep doing that and it is robbing from them as they go along because there are all some of those guys i'm not speaking for all of them definitely some of them who are friends brothers of mine find it exhausting to maintain this young boy about about town you know and actually when they sit with themselves want to be a little more settled than that mm -hmm. so the, the the stereotype doesn't sit with everyone and it shouldn't because it sounds like really exhausting and then women having to and the the very base version of that stereotype is that they stay in the house and they raise the kid until it's a certain age and that's why women aren't interested in in men in the same way men are interested in women but again that's bullshit because I don't believe that that's truthful for me all the time and I certainly don't think it's the truth for a lot of women and it just and then you go into gender mm. you know so um, looking at my nieces and nephews who are like toddlers some of them and they're all cool little people who I uh, what I'm realizing more than anything is that they you are born with a personality I think mm -hmm. so despite the argument that your environment dictates who you become there's no question at one years of age, like the, my ne nephew, Dahi and his sister, Rena, like completely different human beings. You couldn't, like, she is actually, if you wanted to apply a stereotype, she's the boy and he's the girl. Yeah. And like his mom and, and their mom and dad, like my sister and all my brother will, will say, yeah, because she's the boisterous one. She's the one who has no fear. She will climb to the top. She has climbed onto sideboards at one and a half 
and jumped off them mm. just for the crack. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dahi would be the one fretting about the the fact that she was on the sideboard. So there's this whole concept of you know, and it's just it's it's I'd say it's it's a difficult time. It's always been a difficult time to raise kids, but when it comes to gender and identity and 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 that area, to to acknowledge their personality, not be too stuck on on being gender neutral where it becomes a problem because unfortunately the world hasn't caught up yet mm. I don't I wouldn't even know where to begin I'm talking about it I wouldn't even know where to begin like what would it must feel like to give birth to some someone and then have to go right Jesus Christ I'm in this world now what am I going to do to safeguard your health, mental health basically is what we're doing is it some, is that something that you want do you think in your life um like a kid yeah yeah, eventually. Like I'm like I'm in my 30s now, which I I don't say very lightly because I did interviews last year where they're asking my age. So I am technically, you know, when you when you're ba- past 25, someone will say Jesus, you know, biological clock. Again, I want to say f off to that person. Like Jesus, just going well, I'm one of eight kids and my mother had her last kid when she was in her late 30s, like mm. nearly 40 and I have a load of time to really sit down with that. I, I actually have to be honest, like I think in the last two years, not recently, but maybe a year or two ago, I had what was a little bit of a panic because I felt, Jesus, I, I do this job, this acting job, which is so unpredictable and I love it and I won't change it for the world. But how do I have a kid? Um, What do I do? Oh God, how would I raise it? Where would I raise it? You know, because the f- because the our job changes so quickly. In, in, in you know, in a day, you could be invited to go to Prague, which has just happened to a friend of mine next week. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to weigh it up. I've just gone. I don't care anymore. I actually genuinely don't worry about it now. Where I used to, which is really interesting, because you think as you got older, it would be become a bigger, bigger elephant in the room. But the elephant has just become like a little kitten in the corner, and I don't really mind as much because. I'm looking at the world as a bigger in the, as a bigger picture and it's not the end of the world if I don't have a kid. Mm. But if I do, it would be wonderful. I think. Yeah. I'm, see, I say that because I'm not as stuck on it now. Yeah. Whereas I really was, but I've p- picked it apart and realised a huge amount of that was pressure from um, the society we're in. And also, when you're one of eight children and you're the second of eight and you're the eldest girl... And it's steps and stairs. You do take on like a motherly role. My mother will tell tell you that that I definitely was like a, like a little manager mum person. You know, at age three and a half, mm. there were a number of kids younger than me, which is crazy <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. But it meant that I grew up with that as an identity, part of a huge identity as a woman. And I I look up to my mum in so many different ways. And she also happens to be the mother of a lot of people. And I guess I've realized, wow, of course I feel like I should be having children. But my siblings are doing that, so it's grand. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, as an actor, it's a little bit, it's, it's maybe we're being a little bit um, self-righteous to say it's different for actors, you know. But it is kind of different because we don't get salaries for the most part. And we don't have the same relationship with the bank and we don't have the same, same relationship with social welfare. And it's all a little bit, a bit discombobulated so to have a normal life quote unquote yes you have to uh that's what you almost you'd want for a little person coming into the world is a, a decent bit of you know some consistency so most actors are like oh god i don't know if i have that for myself mm. so there is a lot at stake when you if you want to have a kid i think yeah um but loads of really amazing people who happen to work in this industry are doing a really good job of being parents. And I would say they're some of the, my favorite parents, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. There's a big answer. That was great. Let's give it a spin. You, I, sometimes you just forget like that we have the feckin' bingo machine, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, number 49. Do you have it? I do. Oh, well done. Woo-hoo! Sweet. Okay. Do I just do a big circle? Just a big... Heart? I'll do a big heart. A heart is gorgeous. We're on, a, we're on a roll here already. All right, number okay. 49. Uh, what do you think people's first impressions of you are? Oh, God. It's so interesting you asked me this because I was, my friend Jude is a creative coach and she asked me recently, just, just as an experiment, to write a letter about uh, um, in third person about what it's like to meet me or know me, which was kind of scary. <laughs> um, 
I think people think I'm really confident. Mm. I think people think that I'm really, uh, that I, I also have this worry, I think, that people think that I, I, that I feel like I'm a know-it-all when I'm really not. I, I, um, there's always like a, I think I'm realizing as I've gotten older that it's probably for everyone the same feeling, except I'm going to talk about it now, where I, I think that uh, there's an underlying uh, doubt at all times. And sometimes the doubt wins and therefore you have a little bit of anxiety or you catastrophize. So you'll be in a, in a situation where I might seem like I'm all over it and I'm grand when actually there's a little bit of a, a not even a little bit. Sometimes there's quite a lot of self-doubt mm. about, for example, like in a performance or in a rehearsal process, which I think most of the time that kind of stuff comes up because you're learning to make something that isn't you for mostly or you're getting to know a new bunch of people or trying to get it right, which is ridiculous because you should be trying to get it wrong before you get it right mm. in, in, in when you're making a character. But uh, yeah, so back to the question, I think people think I'm really confident, but then I also think they think I'm a bit mad um, at times. So I have this, it's really good question because I have this, this like dichotomy in my head. So one person, I think some people meet like this confident, I think bubbly person mm -hmm. who seems at ease and is uh, quite articulate and knows what they want and uh, might have a bit too much confidence they're like a bit too sure of themselves and then that's a very Irish person of me saying that um, judging myself and then the other one people get to see that a very vulnerable person who's not afraid to uh, talk about their fears and I think I talk about them too much sometimes I think I'm fine trying to find a balance where I don't splurge my fears on a table as quickly I, I'm learning to deal with that those sometimes ill-founded fears because a lot of the time we worry about stuff that isn't really a problem right and i'm learning that like i have this type of personality who is hyper vigilant i did a personality test i've done all the stuff i'm so prepared for this and um, the hyper vigilant personality uh, it's a dominant part of me and it, you can it's like you've wired your brain over time depending on like your natural personality your circumstances your conditioning all that so it means that I just panic a lot. I worry. So I'll worry a lot more than maybe someone else about little things or, you know, like plugging things out in the house or worrying that, that, that uh, you know, someone the way someone spoke to me means that actually I'm going to get a really difficult phone call later to say I didn't get that job or that they don't like. You know what I mean? Like mm. all that kind of crazy human stuff that's bigger for me maybe than someone else. What I'm trying to do is rewire my brain so that I don't think like that as often. Yeah. And you can and so I think I'm interested, actually don't really want to know <laughs> what people, what people think when they meet me first. I think you've got a pretty accurate, like if I, like I, I probably, I don't know when I would have met you, like maybe 18 months, two yeah, years ago, two back years ago at the day, ballpark. Yeah. But like, uh, but yeah, I think you do come across like that. I think you come across very well, like put together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as in, like in the way you interact with the world, like certainly like intelligent and articulate. But also like, I think like that'd be to like ignore, like there's like, there's like an openness or like a warmth or like a kindness that I think I got. Yeah. Like I was very much like I never, some, sometimes I get like intimidated by people. Do, does that make yeah. sense? Oh God, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I didn't like, and especially people in the industry who you've like seen and like whose work you, you would have admired and stuff, which you, you would have been, but I, I didn't feel like a, a distance, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think is a nice thing. Oh good, I'm, good. I'm glad that, that that's that's what's coming out because that's how I feel, that's who I want to be. Yeah. I don't, and I also want to start being a bit prouder of who I am because that's helpful for other people. Because if I'm unsure of myself, it actually creates a difficult environment for people to be in. Yeah. You know, um, and I think having nieces and nephews who are really young and um, and I and I have nieces and nephews who are a bit older, so I've, I've experienced them as small children too, but I'm older now, so I have a bit more awareness. I, I owe it to them to be a little more assured mm. and, and proud of myself mm -hmm. because we we berate ourselves a lot and we think the minute we celebrate ourselves that we're obnoxious and actually there's something really wonderful about being around people who are really confident in what they are and what they want to be and yeah it's a little struggle okay it's a struggle daily for yeah. me and I'm not afraid to say that it's a, it's a daily struggle of trying to 
to not give myself a hard time really. And what does that rewiring process look like on a day-to-day basis for you? And I, I, I'm out of the habit a little bit to be honest but basically another friend of mine, another actress called Amy McAllister talked about the plasticity of the brain and we, we were really close friends so we talk about this stuff a lot and I know I have our own personal experiences of it but she was talking about how she read this book about your brain for example this is really interesting to me anyway is that they the experiment was they took a group of people I forgive me I don't know the number and I'm sure it was a, a great uh, array of people mm. who had never played I think table tennis before and what they did was they photographed their brain or whatever that means whatever the technical term is and they taught half of this this group this study to play table tennis really well okay. and then they didn't teach the other half and then they came back and they photographed their brains again. The people who had learned table tennis really well or ping pong or whatever it was mm. had f- their brain itself, the actual mass of brain had changed in shape in a certain area. The part I imagine which was learning and coordination had physically changed. So it had gained, I think, mass or reduced mass, whatever it means. Mm. So the concept is that you can, there are the thoughts and the, the habits we have are patterns in our brain. We can actually change physically change the pattern so the road less traveled might be a healthier road to go down for for me that might be less berate self-beration yeah like stop giving myself a hard time stop being so anxious stop isn't a great word you're trying to find positive verbs when you talk about this stuff yeah but to get better at being um happy actually yeah and to be uh to be confident about your confidence Mm -hmm. and the minute i start or the sec the millisecond i start to go they look at me do they not like me I go I can't do anything about that and just have a second to go oh that's hypervigilance and that in itself is proven the studies have proven that knowing that that's what that is is another way of changing the neural pathway and okay. changing how you feel about things over a, over a process over a certain amount of time yeah and it means that um, Jesus God I hope it means that uh, <laughs> I become less anxious about certain things Okay, yeah, and so correct me if I'm wrong, but like you would strike me as someone who loves working and loves to be yeah. working and like is focused on, you know, your career. So in the moments then where things aren't going to plan or in those like weeks or yeah. months, whatever it might be, where you're not working, yeah. how, how do you go about ensuring that you're happy then? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. And I think we've talked about it off, off air, like where I do this little thing now where I... It's funny, isn't it? Because even talking about that stuff makes you go, oh, Jesus Christ. Right. You know, you're, you feel a little cold sweat. Okay. As someone who has worked, not worked for a long periods of time, I, I should be used to it now. Yeah. It's been a busy time and it looks like it's going to be continue to be a busy time. But it's, it's, I say this to a lot of actors who I can almost tell immediately that they're having a hard time. And I think most people can, you know, mm-hmm. because and they're not carrying it around. It's not a, a problem. It's actually a really lovely thing that they're able to go. It's a bit, it's a bit tough. <laughs> I haven't had an audition in a few months or I haven't, you know, done a voiceover in six months or I don't really know if I'm, you know, my headshots need to be updated and stuff and I can't really afford it. And you just have to go, right, OK, the little trick is write a list of what you want. I say this to my sister who's self-employed. She's not in this industry, but she's a cake designer. And I can see she's overwhelmed by, she's doing really well, but she's actually not taking a moment to accept that she is. Mm. I feel like writing down what you want makes you realize what you have already. Yeah. And I say this to people, it sounds so easy and I could actually getting into a zone or even physically into a place by a table with a book or a notebook or a piece of paper and a pen. I would say even to people to be ritualistic about it, like find their favorite notebook or buy something and sit down and write what you want from from life and actually does something really special. I think what it does is it gives you a bit of ownership over the path that you want to be on instead of feeling like someone else is dictating what you are or what you want to be. You kind of go, right, OK, that's what I want. I can't describe the feeling where it d- when you write down what you want to do, it almost feels like you're lifting a huge amount of stress off yourself because then you own it. Mm. Because a lot of the time I think what's happening is when you're in that panicky place where you're not working at the moment or you're not getting auditions, you feel 
you feel discombobulated. You feel a little bit like you can't really figure out what you want to do. Um, you're not sure why you feel like that. You think it's because you haven't got auditions. And when you write it down, you realize, oh no, I'm not getting the right kinds of auditions or I'm not having the right kind of conversation with my agent or I need, I need a new agent or I need an agent or I don't want just any agent. You start to put yourself first a little bit and have a bit of ownership over something that feels completely out of your hands. Mm. It doesn't. It sounds a bit arty farty, but for me it works. And I, I know a lot of actors, actors who are much more successful me than me now, I do it. Mm. You know, people I've worked with who are the f- the famous people on the set or the famous people in, in the show. Yeah, uh, they do it. So it's some. There's a the common denominator in those people, and I think it is owning it. So yeah, love it. Yeah. All right, so let's give it a spin. Okay. Uh, here we go. Number twelve. Do you have it? No, I don't have a Tom. Okay, no worries. Um, number 12. Do you ever wish you were born as the opposite gender? No, I actually don't. I thought about this recently. And like, I, it's a really fun thing to do, actually, to go, oh, because someone said to me, uh, play that part as a man, like, you know, in a rehearsal process, like, do it as a man. And you realise, oh, God, what does that really mean? And they're like, don't think about it too much. And you just do it as a man. And it's a little more free. It's a little more like there's a bit more body being spread across surfaces. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, a lot less apology about uh, about being in the room. Uh, but I think it's exciting to be a woman now. And uh, I, I actually, if I'm completely honest with you, I love men. So I feel like if I were a man, I'd be missing out on having that dynamic with a man that I have now. And like, it makes me sound like, I love men. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's not about, it's not always, it's, it's definitely like a very small part of it is sexual and that's very rare actually. Yeah. It's just the, um, the, I mean, I have five brothers, so I kind of have a, I have a lot of, there's a lot of people I grew up with unwittingly, like I was surrounded by men a lot for years until I was eight or nine. There was no other girls in our family. Mm. And it was just me, my mum and all these men and uh, all different kinds of men. And one of my brothers is gay. So there's like he's gone on his own journey as a man. To answer your question in a convoluted way, <laughs> which I seem to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, you can't shut me up. Is um, I am very happy to be a woman. You gotta love that. All yes. right, sweet. Let's give it a spin. Uh, here we go. Number fifty-three. Do you have it? No, fifty-one. Oh, close. No. Do you have an obsessive personality? Uh, no. I think. Uh, stereotypically, if you were gonna, I don't even. What does that mean? Let me ask you what that means first. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I think it can mean like an addictive personality. Okay. Is that the same thing? Like, it, are, are you a creature of habit, routine? Do you like that kind of thing? Um, I guess it's all that sort of stuff. Yeah, obsessive. Uh, there's a small bit of it there. Yeah, definitely. I think it comes from being self-employed. Yeah. A lot of the time, you have to be a little bit on top of things. Otherwise, like I said earlier, you get feel a little bit like you have no say in your life. Mm. So that does quite probably create an obsessive part of me. I'm a bit obsessive about t- switching things off for the house. <laughs> like I will press the front door a few times because our because our front door has a history of not being closed properly and people think it is. And I've come home at two o'clock in the morning and the front door is open, you know, because someone in the house thought it was closed. So there's that like okay. in my defense. Okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's rational. <laughs> um, but I have a bit of that going on and I definitely... Um, have been obsessive about things but that comes with anxiety i think and anxiety shows itself in different ways and in me um it becomes slightly depressive um and the heart rates go up and i do feel exhausted by it but i don't know if it really creates obsessiveness in me it actually probably makes a creates a passiveness in me Mm. where i feel exhausted by it so i'm not as concerned about detail but um I am. Um, I have graphic design uh, in my skill set. Right. It's a big sentence. I'm promising a lot with that one. But I've done a lot of artworking is technically what I've done. I worked for Debenhams uh, head office in London for on and off for years, you know, freelancing a lot of the time as an actor as well after drama school. And you, I was working with the graphic designers, so I did some design, like a lot of artworking, which is basically supports the graphic design team. So what it does is it creates, when you're working for a corporate place like that, you have to go by design rules, which is great because it means that you get really good at 
Photoshop, which is great in our work because mm-hmm. I can just pull that one out of the bag if I need it. Um, and you have to be precise and concise because you're not just doing this for the crack. It has to be put on a website or a piece of print. So I'm a bit obsessive about like lines and, and order. And I, and I like, um, I think I get it from my mom where I love changing the environment I'm in. Mm. I love, uh, I, I do come from quite an arty family. Like there's two designers, um, myself, who's a designer uh, somewhere in my mix uh, my sister's really amazing sculptor and my other brother's incredible at interior stuff. So he's constantly, my brother's a carpenter. So there's a lot of, I think we grew up with this. It's not a big deal. Just suddenly like change the color of your living room and do it yourself. Mm. So I get a bit obsessive about that stuff. Right. Like what's your like relationship to your like bedroom and how you have it kept? Okay, that's a good question because I live in Stony Butter and the houses aren't huge. And um, I have... I have to live there and the, and the rent's decent enough at the moment. But the house is, is, is so lovely. It's got a great vibe. But you you know, your room is more important than it would be if you were living in your own house. Yeah. You know what I mean? It feels like you're a bit like a teenager there at different places. So recently, I, I paired it back. So I took, I realised I had put everything I'd had in London in my room. And I was like, there's something claustrophobic about this. So I just took, I, I was at peace with taking some of the photographs of my loved ones off the wall, putting them in boxes and going, you will have, you will be on a wall again someday. It's just that in my own house, maybe that I might own or be in by myself. Mm. And um, so I bought like my favorite films poster, Lives of Others, okay. the German film. Uh, it's one of my favorites anyway. And I got this lovely abstract version of one, put that on the wall cleared it away, painted a bit of the wall, repainted some of the furniture so it's really white. And I have, it's such a better, it's a, it's a way better feng shui. I, and I also wanted to see all my clothes because um, I have spent money on them mm-hmm. and I bought a hardcore, you know the rails you see in the theatres and in, in, on film sets, mm-hmm. like the really heavy duty ones. I bought one. It wasn't expensive, it was like 55 euro or something. Yeah. Had it delivered to the house. Got rid of all the stuff that was holding my clothes before. Gave it away. Um, to people who hopefully are using it and just all my clothes my clothes are like the feature now in the room Yeah. so I've kind of like I think subconsciously or maybe even consciously sent all of the attention into the corner where all my colourful clothes are great I love that topic you know I could talk about that all day yeah <laughs> I just yeah, love, yeah love design and, and, and I don't know enough about it at all yeah. but it's genuinely like stirs something in me and I think most people have to live like where they live so yeah. It's a big thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. important. I, unfortunately, you're in the wrong podcast to talk about design. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Number nine. Do you have it? No. No worries. Number nine. Question is, uh, in your industry, who is a person that you haven't worked with yet and you would love to? Deborah Crotty. That was fast. Yeah. <laughs> Good. She sent me pictures recently of herself uh, when she was uh, my age, yeah. maybe a bit younger. And she, uh, we look really like in the pictures they're very specifically like the hairdos are 1920s and I did Great Gatsby last year in the gate and my hair was done uh, for the year like the early 20s and so it's that kind of curl that roll and Dervla's hair is the same and she just kept sending them to me going I keep finding pictures of you basically and I had I had this little little like deal with the universe Dervla's somehow aware of it because we've talked about it where the universe has to create a job where I play a relative of Dervla Crotty's there you go. And Ru- Ruth McGill, I'm working with Ruth McGill at the moment, and she's really good at impressions. And she does this really great, lovely. And she's gonna kill me for saying this, but she's worked with Dervla, and Dervla is the most memorable person. She's so gorgeous and like gregarious and intelligent and owns it, you know. And um, and I think she's probably like my, my spirit animal. So Ru- Ruth does her voice sometimes, and it's really exact and warm and confident, you know. And I think uh, I probably just want to be Derek Bacardi. <laughs> yeah, okay, amazing, right. All right, here we go. Number 24, do you have it? Yes, I do. Oh, wow, you're doing pretty good considering, like, right. we've been having the chat, you know what I mean? Oh, Jesus, I'd never shut up. Would you just shut me up? Uh, no, no. There's d- my insecurity coming in now. Just <laughs> that. I'm talking too much, I'm too confident. No, 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 hey, <laughs> it's great, it's great. Um, okay, this is, this is a good one, speaking of that subject. Uh, 24, what is your definition of success for yourself? It is for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Considering what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. For me, it will be um, working in London, Dublin, being based in Ireland, 
in or around Dublin that might even consider where I'm from Louth, like living in Louth. Mm. You know, like having that place where I go, oh, I'm home. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I don't think that could be London long term. Mm-hmm. I haven't been there for years. I don't think it could be London. It might be different. So basically, long story short, London, Dublin, New York, L.A. L.A., I'm not too fussed about. I mm. think it comes with the territory, but we're finding a way in Europe to have our own cinema and our own industry. And, uh, you know, even though the Oscars keeps calling like some of the best films I ever see as like the foreign film, <laughs> it's mental. But um, I think there's a uh, there's a way of 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 existing um, and not having to be in L.A. to be the superstar. I don't I not, don't necessarily want to be a superstar uh, by any means, but I really love the idea of being more international and that is a recent thing mm. uh, I've only bec- I think I've c- I'm at peace with that now yeah it was a little bit of, I, I get quite I get quite panicky at the idea of having to be away from my family for too long mm-hmm. and <coughs> I realise that's coming from uh, feeling left out and actually it comes from wanting the pressures of thinking I have to settle down and have kids and stuff and I only realized that recently. And mm. now I'm like, oh no, I, I could live in all these places. So if I were successful, that's what it is for me, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Still work, I'm still working it out. Yeah. I don't know for sure. And what was the thing that that um that made you... I, obviously, yeah, I, I completely hear the family thing and the, the pressure for, for kids and that sort of um stuff. Mm. What was the thing that like... And that clicked for you when you were like, well, as well as that, it's also like the international thing. And, and that is it like a thing of a broader reach for your art? Or well, I think actually it's because you can't do all the jobs in Ireland and Ireland will get tired of you. And but it, it or it needs a break from you for some for a period of time, you know. Mm. And I fortunately I run a company, Red Bear Productions with Tracy Martin. And I think she is a hugely talented writer and she's only getting better and better and better. And and has ambition and has almost sat with that now too. I was recently gone, I, I want to make films that more people see. Mm. And I want to make theatre that more people see. I think that's what it is. Right. And I think it's about learning more. And like most people, most actors anyway, and people that we work with in the industry want to keep learning. And I, I think they should want to keep learning actually because then, then they can really criti- critique themselves a bit more mm. and make better work. So yeah, I'd love to just like have the adventures have the crack go to london do a show yes just, just say in universe um go to and i'm not saying right now but you know eventually yeah i think most people do yeah, i think so too yeah i i, I completely I would speak i'm sure you feel the i same feel way. i feel really yeah. similarly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and like you have that you have that very strong actor thing where you're also i think you're both actor and musical theater actor in my head mm. so you could like clean up in new york just saying. Yeah, you see, it's funny. That's something that doesn't interest me like artistically very much. Like, yeah. even there was something like a friend was like, "Hey, you know, they're casting like this big lame is tour," yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, but that's like two and a half years, like doing that show, yeah. in, like regionally." That's cool. I think that's a really cool, um, really healthy way to look at your career when you're a young actor. Yeah, I was just like, I don't think that would. I like that <laughs> that. And when I was younger, I used to think that I wanted to do that because yeah. like singing was the first thing that came for me. Yeah. Um. But then, but yeah, like, no, you're fine. Go, but going forward now, like, if I was being honest, I think that there would be, I think that would, like, fulfill, like, a need to perform and loads of stuff like that. But I, I think that I would take that for granted very quickly and be like, yeah, but what else? Like, yeah. that would, I, 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 I wonder, would, would, it, would a gig like that feel very, very much like an, a nine to five? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that's what's so gorgeous. As you said about, like, the variety and the shortness of the work we do like it kind of always feels like your first day of school or if not yeah. like you're only about like six weeks away from it it's kind of exciting terrifying yeah. and then like it's it's all it's all the things yeah. you know what I mean and I don't know what I'd be willing to trade yeah. like the good and the bad of yeah. that for like the security of something like that well I mean yeah like like some people they their, their bigger picture means that wow if I did two and a half years of Lemiz I can prove I can do two and a half years of a show mm. and I can be the leading man or the leading lady or whatever it is and or or like a friend of mine, he does this thing sometimes where he says priority this year is money, and he's like, I don't like that it is, but it has to be because mm-hmm. I've got two kids and a wife in London, and I want to give them the life I want to have with them. So like good schools, whatever it is for him, right? Mm. So he just wrote it down his on his universe list and his you know manifesting, and he got a job that he wouldn't artistically celebrate necessarily in the same way he would another job, right? But he's at peace with that because he got the money thing. And I think something like the Les Mis tour would be, as an example, yeah. would be 
the money thing. 100%. And you might find that in a year, actually, do you know what? I want the money thing. And then what's really great about what we do is that, thank God for technology, because you can keep making other things. And I think what might happen in those situations is that you end up making something with people you're working with every day. And because you're kind of, you know, a bit over the show at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you see, that'd be great if, if that was... Yeah, look at me trying to, path, you know, draw out your path for you. Yeah. Um, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like you have to, I, I would be similar. I think I would might go a bit mad if I was doing the same thing. Yeah. For a long period of time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's just, I think, uh, yeah, I'm in a, in a place now where I'm just kind of like, you know, want to have like a little bit more like, like integrity is just a word I'm like thinking about more and more in like life, you know, mm. and trying to just because that's fucking important. And yeah. it, it's actually something that you can control, it, it, you know, and I'm, I'm it's something that I'm trying to like have more integrity over like the kind of stuff that I want to do because y- y- everything, as you said, everything is like, and never uh, like an evolution. And I guess if if I have a word for this year, it's probably like integrity now. Like it's a good word. Yeah, yeah. To be to be able to like and and like that that doesn't mean that it has to be like high art necessarily. It just has to be like like that's what I want to do now. Like yeah. and I you know what you can tell. Do yeah. I really want to do that now? Yeah. And before I've been like oh, fuck, it, I'll do it because it's yeah. there. And now I'm trying to be like no, like I, you I know, don't. Yeah, because jobs can rob you of a, of of actually your confidence a little bit. Yeah. Even if you do a really good version of that job. You know, as in, like you're you're the best you can be in that in that environment or in that role or whatever. Um, and I'm very fortunate; I've never really been in that position. But I'm aware of them creeping in. Not not now, mm. but you know, I'm aware that they 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 happen. Mm-hmm. And like you have a conversation with my agent about, do I really want to do that? Mm-hmm. Is that something? And fortunately, um, our agent mm. is really really articulate about the industry and knows the path pathway and can see things maybe before you can and yeah and has a way of um of making sense of what can feel a bit like should i take it well you don't have to and it's such a lovely gift for someone to say you don't have to do anything yeah whereas i've been in situations where people go you're so lucky you're being offered this stuff and you're like i don't really want to do it though yeah and your gut is a powerful thing like i think yeah it's funny i I, i'm so excited because i literally like just moved and kind of have been working up to this point so this is like my first time when like we're kind of getting to like start to go in like more like our agent like maureen and eleanor they're brilliant but like I'm really excited to like explore that like relationship because yeah. it's kind of like just starting out. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. You always feel like when you're having those serious chats, it's um it's one of the reasons I think they've 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 done so well and for such a long time is because they're they've really put the actor first, mm. and in an industry where we can get exploited quite easily, and we don't realize until it's too late, they are a bit of ahead. They're ahead of it, you know, and for the most part, our industry in Ireland, people don't want to exploit you. But, mm. you know, there's always a risk that people are, you know, and especially in the theatre scene, it's not like, I don't think it's like that. But, you know, like, bigger bigger films come in and they film here and TV shows and stuff. And they're all over looking after what you want, mm-hmm. which is lovely. Which is, yes, nice to say, right. I think you have time for one more spin. Oh S- so let's do it. Are you okay? Yeah, totally, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. <coughs> oh, well, two came out. We'll see how we go. Right. Uh, first one that came out was number 20. Do you have it? No. Okay, no worries. <coughs> number 20. Um, the question is, oh, well, yeah, this kind of come up as well, but have you or do you ever consider emigrating? So you, you went and studied. Yeah, like I went to Maynooth University and then I studied French and sociology and anthropology in first year. Just hit your mic. <laughs> um, and loved those subjects. But I only... I only realised I wanted to be an actor when I was like 22, mm. 23. And I didn't even really say it too loud because it's crazy shit to be saying that. I was going out with an actor for a few years at the time who had gone to Lambda and had just graduated and we were living together in London and I think he <laughs> wanted to kill me when I told him I wanted to do an, a- an actor. But I'd done shows in the drama sock and I'd done my diploma in speech and drama. Yeah. I'd done really well in the diploma, especially in the acting bit. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really thought of myself as a decent actor at all. I just knew that I liked it and I loved that, here's a wanker alert, telling stories. Mm-hmm. You know, but I did, I loved it and I loved working with people in that environment and and uh, I realised I wanted to learn more and I wanted to feel empowered going into uh, into the industry. So I auditioned for a few schools, thankfully got accepted to a couple, but it was too expensive. But I got the scholarship to go to Oxford School of Drama and I went there and that was wonderful and it was the right kind of training for me and then I lived in London for a few years after that so I lived in London for two years prior to training 
um, and you know got a taste of the industry through my boyfriend at the time and um, I, I knew how scary it could be I knew how unsettling it was and I also knew how wonderful it could be and I trained and then I spent another two years in London and I, that was six years in total in London mm. wow yeah yeah so it's a, oh, it's a significant amount of time I, you know, my fear was because I I, I was single then um, by the time I was finished drama school really I had this fear that I'd end up falling in love with an English person and then have to stay because that's kind of like the unwritten rule like yeah. you, you're, it happened on our territory this is where we're staying and I was like I can't stay here and it was one of the best decisions I ever made was like 40 years ago moving home mm. you know and just just getting my shit together in Ireland and having faith that we see when you have your family around and you didn't have them around you realise and your best met mates you grew up with you realise that you can do anything because it's okay mm. if you fail mm -hmm. you know mm. and when I was in London I felt a little bit like out in the abyss it's interesting you know? yeah but I think it would be a different place for me now. Yeah. And it's not like that for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, it's just how it was for me. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I think about it like a, a lot, but kind of like what we were saying earlier, I think we said this off mic, but it's like, you know, you, I think you've got to be like tactful about when you want to want to look at God. And you don't have to be, but like I certainly like feel like it's not right to go right now, but maybe in it will be in a year or three years or five years yeah. and maybe it never will be and that'll be okay as well yeah, and maybe you work there and you don't live there yeah like in the same way you live here yeah like you don't my fear is that someone wants me to move over for six months and wait for them to get me meetings i'm speaking about agents and stuff yeah i just don't think i want to do that yeah i don't think i want to wait around i think i want to go from here to a job you know that's the dream and have an identity as an actor there not as something else mm -hmm. but loads of people need to do it because it's really good for them as actors or directors or writers to go there and I, I've done it so I've done it Yeah. but some people it, I see them flourish and they are doing the other job they're wait waitressing or waitering or you know whatever they need they want to do and they're doing a bloody good job of being in London Yeah. and they're doing really well like yeah. loads of people I know yeah I know um, it's just that I'm, I have no interest in it yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at the moment. Great. Do you have time for one more? Yeah. Okay, cool. One popped out, so we'll, we'll do it and we'll finish up then. Yeah. Um. Okay, last one. Number 30. Do you have it? No. Okay, no worries. Um, <laughs> number 30. Uh, question is, where are we? Number 30. Um. The question is, uh, do you believe in love at first sight? <laughs> Got a nice yes, one to end I do, on. I think. Do you? Um, I've, I've picked that apart a little bit because I've definitely been in love and um, I love saying that, actually, because I feel like, oh, I've done it. Um, yeah. But... Um, I believe in chemistry at first sight, which is a big part of what creates, I think, potentially a good long-term relationship. Mm. Um, and it's exciting and all that stuff. It kind of panics me, actually, to be honest with you. But I definitely, I was with someone for a few years, good few years, where it, we would acknowledge, not like now it's grand, like we're not close friends, but we're, you know, some, quietly from afar supporters of each other's work kind mm. of thing you know mm -hmm. and I think we both agree that it wasn't as exciting to have love at first sight there because it was a quick thing I think we started officially going out the next day or something right and we were together for four years uh, or something like that and, and, um, I can't even remember how long it was now yeah. but um, I think it was proof that yeah it can happen that way um, but what's more interesting to me at the moment is that uh, what kinds of people I would fall in love with mm. and the at a base level which is more exciting is that sometimes you have no say in what's physically working so like um you know i you meet someone and you're like whoa i can't really ignore the fact that i like the smell of that person right and it's not their smell mm -hmm. if you know what i mean someone said that to me this person i won't say who it is um he, he said to me it's your smell and i was like i don't know how to describe it but i understand because i'm the same and that's very hard to um, ignore mm -hmm. and, but then the actual fact is we live in this world and you have to create a relationship around that that's a challenge sometimes yeah you know what I mean so you can have the thing and then you have to work at the other thing yeah and if you're not ready to work at the other thing it doesn't work so what happens then like because I have to imagine then 
like love at first sight yes okay well we're saying that that does exist when that doesn't exist in this instant and like but you are in a relationship with someone is it then that trusting that well like love can develop long after the first sight do you mean like people who get together and they you know it's not like uh, bold to the well for example like every person like I, I, I don't know how many people you've been in love with and you don't need to say yeah. but like however many people you've been in love with were all of them at first sight uh, yes. Really? Mm. You just knew? Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Because I've been with people I've loved, I think, but I don't know if I was in love with them. Yeah. That's really cruel because those people are great, but, um, and people have probably been the same with me. And exactly. I've probably yeah. maybe been in love with them and they haven't been in love with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm sure that's happened. Um, but I mean, that makes sense. Like I have a long, long arm <laughs> of, like, and I really don't. It's very, 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 very minute, actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think I'm also a go-getter a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if I see something and I want it, I don't make it clear to the world, but I have like a, okay, I want to see if I can. And mm-hmm. I'll get over it if it doesn't work. But mostly I'll be like, okay. But also you kind of know, I think most human beings can measure their their compatibility even like because they say you know you go for someone who's the same level of attractiveness as you or they have a similar kind of culture or whatever it is i don't know or your cultures you know communicate well together or mm. whatever and um yeah so you're like you'll know how what your chances are you know what i mean yeah it's like if i met like the best looking man in the world it's very unlikely that we're going to get together because you know what i mean i would be like whoa okay so we're not going to be you know i can't even think of anyone particularly but like there's a, an array of them across instagram and you just be like mostly i don't really fancy those kinds of people but um but it's interesting to see how humans kind of click yeah, yeah it's yeah. a thing it's the click thing isn't it it's yeah. like you go oh okay oh i i can't really ignore that that's really and i think it's so rare it's like the rarest thing in the world which is a terrible thing because you can't get it very easily but it's also kind of magic for that same know. reason, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I love that it's rare. What's rare is wonderful, yeah. Yeah, I love that it's rare, but it's a pain in the arse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, nope, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. Yeah, every yeah makes me sound like I'm doing the rounds. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, it's been rare and wonderful to chat to you because we you. should do it more often. Every time I talk to you, like, yes, I really like Avian. She's great. Uh, oh so my god! Thanks for doing it. Come here, um, tell everyone just about uh, assassins. What's going on? I know you have some things probably lined up that we can't talk about, but um, but we can't talk about assassins. Assassins, right now. yeah. At the Gate Theatre, it's running until the June June 9th. I play Sarah Jane Moore. I wear a uh, padding, body padding, yes. an augmentation suit. I've started calling it because I hate the other word the people use for it, mm. um, and a wig. Which is both new for me. I haven't had to wear... Well, I've had hair put on my hair, like, you know, added to my hair. But I haven't had to wear a wig on stage. And I shoot real guns and stuff. And actually, to be honest with you, Sondheim is such a... Like, you know this more than most people. Sondheim is such a difficult, uh, exciting, challenging uh, musical writer you know both in lyrics and in 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 the actual music the actual music is mental yeah like i sing a part where i have to go like you know the gun song Mm -hmm. sarah jane murray comes on stage and she's like i got this really great gun shit where is it and it's like and then i have to belt it at the end of it and it has to be the right pitch and all the right oh god it's absolutely mind-boggling for me little old me it'll hopefully looks really easy for the audience to see but uh the cast are incredible the people i get to work with are cool and selena carmel's directed it and it just looks it looks kind of has this like and Sarah and Sarah Sarah Bacon's the designer mm. and it's just I I love being in that set and I sometimes get to see it on the screen of what, how some of the scenes are lit mm. and look and feel and it kind of looks like that kind of dark magic or something yeah. going on yeah, yeah it's yeah. fun I mean it's a great show in itself so hopefully we're doing a, I think we're doing a good job yeah no one hundred percent it's it's good fun yeah uh, and the reviews which are it. yeah yeah so get in to see it uh, even Ken thanks so much for doing Thank it you. I feel like I've talked a lot about myself that's a bit uncomfortable actually and it's the point thanks <laughs> usually for I'm okay talking about myself yeah well <laughs> hey look no it was such a pleasure thank you so much for having me thanks for playing personality bingo. Oh.
So guys, that was a brilliant Avian McCann playing Personality Bingo. Avian, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. It was a really special episode. Really enjoyed the chats. And um, yeah, I uh, anytime I sit down with Avian, I always enjoy it. Um, so I need to do it without microphones next time. But uh, what a pleasure to have her on the podcast. She'd been someone I wanted to get on for ages. So it was great to make it happen when we did. Uh, as I said, next week we have the wonderful Paddy Murphy um, from the Facts channel, uh, from the Tri channel now. Uh, he's also probably best known for his work on Rory Stories, which is such a popular YouTube and Facebook page. Uh, he's also done his own podcast with Rory Stories. So check out all that stuff in advance of Paddy's episode next week. Uh, Paddy's a bit of a rock star. He was also on First Dates Ireland. Uh, he's done all this stuff. He's just um, such a charming, lovely, lovely, endearing fella. Uh, and I can't wait to bring you that episode too. Uh, as always, a few thank yous. A massive thank you to the wonderful Erin Lindsay for mixing, editing, and producing this podcast. Erin is a rock star, and she is um, she is why personality bingo happens. So a massive thank you to you, Erin. Uh, also, a huge thank you to Connor Nolan for the deadly artwork, to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for our wonderful theme music, and as always, a huge thank you to Paddy and Alan uh, at Headstuff um, for having us a part of the family. Uh, it's such a great place to be, and I'm very grateful to be here. So, lads, thank you. Uh, guys, please tune in next week when Paddy Murphy plays personality bingo with Tom Moran. <laughs>